Well, good morning. Welcome to the Vineyard. Great time in the Lord's Prayer. Y'all sound like a good choir. Uh, we, uh, we just could feel the presence of God. Thank you. Thank you. Convoy of Hope. You know, there's a million good, good places out there, good men, not a million, but a lot of good ministries and good ideas and good people. And, but as a church, we've chosen to focus our compassion uh, on Convoy of Hope, partnering with them. We can't recreate what they do, and they're really good at what they do, and they're all over the world doing it. And uh, so we do a once-a-year, all-in commitment to uh, Convoy of Hope by uh, sponsoring a child. Now, my wife and I, we sponsor a couple kids through World Vision, another great organization. But, you know, you can't do everything. So we say no a lot. Not everybody likes to hear a no, but as a church, you have to learn to focus on the things God said, focus on these things. And, and we're better together focusing. Now, you can all go out and figure out your own little causes to be a part of, and that's fine, but we like to channel ours together. Last year, we sponsored over, what, 240 children uh, for the year. It's $120 a year, $10 a month, and it goes to not just sponsoring children, but it, they spread it out to help compassion where the tornadoes went through, and, and, and it's just a, a, a great uh, compassion organization. So this year, we're believing God for 300 So we're going to do it next week. We're going to have a vineyard auction, and we, do, uh, we have fun with it. So you don't have to, uh, but you'll miss out on a blessing if you don't get in on it. So uh, we're going to do that next week. So be praying about how many children. Maybe you can partner with someone. You can't come up to one, partner with some, but maybe you could do a bunch. And so we just, uh, we're going to need a bunch uh, to get to where we need to go uh, to get to 300. So pray with us about getting to that 300. All right. If you have your Bibles, now we're in Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua, but we're going to be in Luke this morning. So, and it's not a, 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 a diversion. It's a, an addition. So in Joshua, we talked last week about taking one step, and we had some people take a step. Anybody here that was baptized last week on Sunday? Anybody in the, in the house that was baptized last week? I know James was, and James is still, but anybody else uh, baptized last week? Going once, going twice, they almost all come to the next, uh, the first one. Anyway, we, uh, we had a great service last week, and we talked about Joshua taking that one step into the Jordan, God parting it. What I want to do this morning is give you a perspective on the Old Testament from the view of the New Testament. So when I was first saved as a newer believer, I never forget kind of moaning to the Lord, complaining, and reading the book of Joshua, saying, I wish I'd have lived back then. Now, I know you're going to judge me and say, well, he's a sadistic pastor and all, but I wanted to swing swords at people back then. I did. I grew up watching gladiator shows and, you know, uh, it, it just, I, I loved that era of life. Um, and so I was like, man, this seemed like so much more action than going to church and singing hymns. You know, it just seemed a lot more exciting and cutting off a head and singing a hymn. I mean, you know, come on. And so the Lord didn't rebuke me for that, but he, cha he channeled it. And he said, you know, son, you're in a battle that's just as real. In fact, it's a greater thing or at stake in the New Testament era since Jesus. We're in a spiritual warfare. Joshua didn't fully understand spiritual warfare. He understood physical enemies, giants, cities that had to be taken on this plane. And we still have enemies, evil people, people that, are, that, that hate Jesus and hate God. But we, we fight a different kind of battle with different weapons. And actually, we're going to do a series on it. Our next small group series will be on the, the Christian wardrobe, learning the dress and the armor of God and, and, and on spiritual warfare. But this morning, I want to go to a story in Luke that will give you a perspective of how to see what was behind the enemies in the Old Testament, that what was behind the giants, and in the New Testament, how do we fight in spiritual warfare. And I believe that it will be encouraging for you if you'll stay with us in this message and follow along as we go. Luke, Jesus has been teaching in chapter 11 on prayer. He, he taught uh, what we call the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. He, he talked about being persistent in prayer. And then he comes down and he, he practices prayer, but with authority. And, and I'm going to pick up in chapter 11, verse 14. Notice the number of times you'll see the word driven out or drive out or driving out. You'll see it six times in this story. Verse 14, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. 
And when the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him and asked him for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub, verse 19. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges, verse 20. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. I'm going to stop here for a moment. We'll go on to the other verses in a minute. But Jesus starts with this principle, a kind of a, a universal law. And he applies it to their accusing him of, you're doing miracles. You're driving out demons, but your source of power is dark. You're evil. You're fighting evil with evil. You're just evil. You're mimicking, in a, in a sense. And can you understand how, how insidious that accusation is? You can't get a, there's not a worse accusation in the Bible against Jesus. Because they're saying, Jesus, you're a demon, and you're by demon's power, you're the king of demons, and you're driving out. These are religious people saying this to Jesus. These are people that are, quote, good people that understand the Old Testament, but in a warped way. And they're accusing you. Think of it this way. Do you know anybody, don't blurt out the answer if there is one. I'm not saying there aren't any, but it's a, it would be a rarity if I had a big, beautiful bouquet of flowers. Beautiful, just filled with roses and sunflowers and like the one I got on Valentine's Day. Just thinking of that. <clears throat> and can you imagine somebody looked at those flowers and said, those were made by the devil. Can you imagine? Think about that. Think about how dark it would be to watch a sunset and say, the devil did that. To see the beauty of creation. And that's one level of insidiousness, of just blind. This is saying to the Son of God, you're a wicked, vile demon. Now that's, that's dark, dark deception. And Jesus confronts it with the law of Division. Here's how it works. Real simple. If two people don't get along, they'll come to division. And when you have division, you have disunity, and you go separate ways. And you've lost the strength of the two people. Whether it's a kingdom of darkness, which he acknowledges Satan as a kingdom. It's a dark kingdom. It's organized. It's got different levels of authority. And he said if Satan fights against Satan, then his kingdom is torn and it'll come to ruin. Then he applies it to marriage, housing, family. If, 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 and do you think the enemy knows this principle? Absolutely. Now Jesus is saying he's, he's, he's evil, but he's not stupid. He's wicked, but he's still brilliant. And he understands, even though they probably hate each other, that we have to get along in order to stay together, in order to have any chance of winning. So they don't Satan's not against Satan. But when a man becomes against his wife or a wife against her husband and the, and the marriage is torn and the children are torn and the family is torn and the community is torn, Satan understands this principle. He understands it in church life. Church life, the more churches are ruined by <laughs> called a tongue. Take a church down takes leaders down, people running their mouths, people that get hurt legitimately or illegitimately, doesn't matter how you handle hurt. If you handle it with your mouth involving others that don't have anything to do with the hurt, now you're blowing it up with a can of gas. And that's what the enemy does constantly in churches. Rarely do churches have struggles over, they can theological issues. Usually it's emotional. If someone gets their feelings hurt and acts like a big baby and pouts and then tries to get everybody to see their side instead of going to the person that offended them and trying to have an adult conversation and working through it, they'd rather talk to nine other people because it's too hard to go to the person and talk through it. 
You know, it reminds me of the lady that came up to the pastor and she said, Pastor, I need to lay my tongue on the altar. He said, ma'am, I don't think our altar's big enough to handle it. <laughs> not that men can't have the same problem. I'm not, it's not a, because uh, I'm using two women back to back with tongues, so I don't want to make a uh, whatever. Uh, but the, this, this story happened to me. I was praying over this lady in a church, and she wanted to receive what we taught on yesterday in our prayer training about she wanted to receive her prayer language. And don't get off on trying to figure that out. If you don't know, don't worry about it. But it's just it's something I practice, we believe in as a church, but we don't make it a, the watermark of spirituality. But anyway, she wanted prayer. She wanted to receive the Holy Spirit power, and she wanted to speak in a prayer language in tongues. So I prayed over her, and all of a sudden she goes, I got it wrong. My tongue's wrong. And I'm like, I've never had anything like this happen in my life. And I, I prayed again, and oh, it's really worse. I, can't, I can't hardly talk. My tongue shrunk. And her pastor was beside me. He said, keep praying, brother. Keep praying. She needs to shrink that tongue a little bit. I'm just saying, sometimes our, our mouth gets open. I put this big foot in this mouth all the time. And so I just, the enemy understands division. Jesus comes along and says, be careful, watch out, work for unity. Unity isn't that we all agree on everything. We have a church that's diverse. We fight for that. I don't want a bunch of Republicans, and I don't want a bunch of Democrats, and I don't want a bunch of Libertarians, and I certainly don't want, you know, whatever else is out there. We want to be a church that loves Jesus, and we lay our other values at his feet. I have political convictions, I have opinions, but you know, I lay them at the feet of Jesus and I come to church. I lay them at the feet of Jesus and I go to group. I don't come to preach the kingdom of the Democrats or the kingdom of Republicans or the kingdom of Fox News or the kingdom of MSNC, whatever. I've come to preach Jesus, it's all we got. And we fight to get along. We fight to watch our mouths on Facebook, I hope. We steward our opinions with a Christ-like way. Still have opinions, but I don't want my opinion to get in the way of someone to come to Jesus. So you converted them, which you won't. You try to convert them to your political opinion, and you lost them from Jesus. What did you win? You lost the battle. You're fighting the wrong battle. To convert someone to your political opinion is a weak, superficial change. But to help someone find the love of Jesus, you changed the soul forever. You brought someone into the love of God. You brought someone into the realm of the kingdom of God. That's not going to be some temporal thing on earth. So anyway, that was my introduction. That's all I got to say about that, as Forrest would say. Now, Jesus says in verse 20, if I drive out, the word is ekbalo, comes from two words in the Greek. One is ek means out of, balo means throw. The word for the devil is the opposite. It's the diabolos, balo. It means dia through, balo, throw. So one of the things the devil loves to do is throw through, cause division. So division. Jesus has come to Balo to throw, drive him out. Six times. Same word that's used in Revelation. Some of you will remember in chapter 12 when we were teaching on that, how he was thrown, balo, akbalo, thrown out of heaven. And he came full of rage and to the earth. And so Jesus said, if I come, verse 20, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, you remember I talked on the hand of God, the five fingers, and just had some fun with it. And I used, which finger did I use for the hand of power, the finger of power? Who remembers? What, which one was it? Who remembers? Hand. What, what, someone, just say it. Nobody remembers. Oh, thank you. Pinky, someone remembered. Wow. That's when you want to get away. And it's like, I even drew a picture of the hand and wrote it on the hand. And one person in the whole service remembers it was the pinky now, I don't know if that Jesus meant the pinky finger, but he could have. What he's saying is, in my little finger, I have more authority and power in the kingdom of God than all of hell, all of darkness. And if I just move my little finger, darkness, go, if I do that, the kingdom of God has come. Not someday, yonder. listen to me. If you get this next couple minutes of theology, 
It, you, can, you can put your mind around better the, the, the vineyard's view on ministry, healing, power, uh, 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 miracles. Here, let me help you understand, because there's various views, and you may be taught a different view somewhere else, but here, let me help you understand where we're coming from. We're coming from a theology that believes that when Jesus said this, when he cast out demons and healed the sick, he was displaying that the kingdom of God has come. He inaugurated the kingdom. He brought the kingdom, the rule of God. Now, not in a, not in a set up my throne on earth piece yet, that's coming, but a setting up the spiritual authority of the rule of God. So when he casts out a demon, He's displaying God's here and God's in charge. When he heals sickness, he says, God's here as the God of the universe, the king, his kingdom, and in his kingdom, sickness goes. And when he preaches the good news and sets the captives free, he's demonstrating that the kingdom has come. Now you're gonna have to deal with it. It's, it's no more neutrality. And you'll see this later in the story. So there, so you say, well, Jamie, doesn't every church believe that? No, there are many churches believe Jesus offered the kingdom. It was rejected by Israel and he put it on hold. He establishes the church, gives us the Bible. We don't need miracles. We don't pray for the sick. We just go to doctors and we hope to get to heaven someday. Now you say, well, that's, is that wrong? Yeah, it's very wrong because it leaves us crippled between now and when we go to heaven. It leaves us no, no, no weapons to fight with, no confidence that when I pray in Jesus' name, God shakes heaven and earth to answer those prayers. It, it leaves us in a, in a place of just passivity towards evil, just kind of hoping that rapture comes and I get taken out of here and I get to go to heaven someday. So we're not that church. Now we're also not the church that believes that the kingdom came in such a way that everything happens now. And they're out there where they basically, they won't say it fully, but they act like if you're not healed, you lack in faith and you're missing God somehow and it's your fault. We don't believe that in the vineyard. We never put guilt on somebody for not getting healed. We never put something on them like you didn't have enough faith or maybe if you had more faith or maybe if you were, didn't have any sin in your life and maybe if you didn't. No, we don't do that. We, our theology doesn't allow us. We say there are times that people we're gonna pray for that they don't get healed because not everything happens here. People die that we pray for. People get diseases and die. Accidents happen. There's, there's, there's darkness still on the planet. There's still evil. Christians still get assaulted. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you'll never get assaulted or attacked or robbed. Or Yes, there's a protection of God, but you've got to understand we're living in a time where the devil's still at work. And though we're going to see that he's been torn down, but he's still allowed on a leash to be a devourer, to be a liar, to be a, a, a deceiver. And so, so we're not that church that says it's all now. Everybody's going to get healed. Every problem's going to go away and everything's going to be good. We're the church that says believers will suffer, but we're not going to suffer without standing and fighting. We're not going to receive things that we aren't meant to receive and think, oh, God loves us. He just put sickness on us to teach us a lesson. We don't believe that, but we believe that what God brought in Jesus, the kingdom here we're reading about is present today and we're walking in the same authority and the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had. Now, someday we're looking for the return of Christ when the kingdom will come in absolute consummation, absolute fullness, absolute victory. Evil will be annihilated. All sickness will be gone. Every tear will be wiped away. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more death. And I say, come Lord Jesus. That's gonna be a good day, amen? So, but we don't have to wait till then to get him to move in our lives now. And every time he does something now, he's pointing to what's coming. So Jesus is pointing with a finger to evil leave, but he's also pointing to the kingdom. It's coming, it's coming. So now he sets the stage. Ekbal, I've thrown him out, I'm thrown out six times. He's thrown out darkness. Now he's telling them, it's, Satan's kingdom is not divided against itself. And now he gives a, a, a principle uh, a story, if you will, an allegory of how the kingdom of God is working. Verse 21. When a strong man, this is Satan. I, I just help you understand as you read it. This is the devil. 
When the, when the strong man is fully armed and he guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Now, this is Satan who is strong. And he guards his palace, his fortress. Now, we're going to see this in the natural next week, if you want to read ahead, Joshua 2, where they face the enemy's palace, the city of Jericho, inhabited by people that are demoniacs, that are wicked and evil. And there's somebody there that God's going to rescue. Her name is Rahab. And we're going to we're going to have fun talking about Rahab next week. So I encourage you to read Joshua 2. In light of this, there's a strong man, Satan. Now let me just, a few principles about the enemy. You can deny that he exists, doesn't make him go away. You can pretend that he doesn't exist, doesn't make him go. It's like pulling the covers over your head when you were a little kid. Did you have magic sheets? I did. Every time I got scared, I could make everything go away by just pulling the sheets over my head. They were supernatural to my mind. I didn't know how to pray back then. I just pulled the magic sheets over my head and it made all the enemies. I felt like if my arm fell off the bed, I had enemies under the bed that were gonna get, eat my arm. So Kim will come in the bedroom sometimes and she'll see me with the sheet over my head. <laughs> oh, pretend. You can pretend that he's not real and we're too smart, like... Many people that teach the Bible today, Harvard, Yale, all the big schools that once they teach you, you're an idiot if you think this story about Jesus casting out demons is, is relevant to today, or it was just a mythological way of showing his, his power and that demons aren't real. I sat in 19, before we were married, so 77, I'm in a seminary, and I'm sitting under a man way smarter than me, can, can speak the Greek language, read the Greek, can teach it. He's a Greek professor, Greek New Testament. And he says, in a scripture like this, he says, well, we know, of course, today that demons are no longer around here. I'm like, he never lived with me. I'm like, and then he said this, and, and I, I know you, you, it, it almost is going to sound humorous, and, and it's inappropriate to laugh. So that's even worse because if you have inappropriate laughter, you're going to embarrass yourself. And the people laughed in the last service. And I get it that it's, it's, it's funny, but when you scratch away the funny, it's deeply troubling and sad because he said this. It wasn't bad enough to just say that because he's so smart. We don't need to have deal with demons today because we were intelligent as though Satan is stupid. He's not stupid. Some of the most brilliant minds that have ever lived were demonically infested with lies and philosophies of death. Anyway, he said this, and if demons were around today, at best, they'd be somewhere in the dark places of Africa. And I'm like, excuse me, that's not what the Bible says. And we got into it. He threw me out of the class. And I, you know, I don't, I don't have any regrets that I raised my hand that day. And, and the sadness of that's, and take that times a thousand. That's what kids are being taught in theological training today that you can't take the Bible. There's a leading pastor in America of a huge church that says there's three baskets that you put Bible verses in. The first basket is that the Bible is, there's eternal truths, timeless, that, that last forever. And that's true, yes. The second basket is you put in there the scriptures that are cultural, that, are, that have a, a, a datedness to them. For example, the Bible exhorts us in the New Testament to greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, you don't have to take that in a legalistic way and you go around kissing guys that are going to make you feel weird. It's just not, it's not in our culture. You might go to an Italian culture or somebody else's culture, and a, a, a Mideastern culture, and that may be You start doing it around here, someone's going to knock you out. Now you give me a good handshake, fist bump, elbow bump, hug maybe. That's some guys get paralyzed with a hug. But yeah, it's a cult. There's cultural baggage to some of the dress pieces for the women. It was cultural for that day. And so it's not timeless eternal truth. But that's true. But then he says there's a third basket. Now this is a, a sharp young leader who's who 
15,000 plus member church. He says, this third basket's full of scriptures that somehow God added to the Bible that should have never been in there. I'm like, (laughs) which ones are those? The ones about being patient? I'd love to tear those out of the Bible. The one that talks about being servant-hearted and Christ-like and carrying the cross and loving my wife? Ow! Take that out. And, and the one about, I, you know, can, who decides what goes in that third basket? I tell you who decides. Satan decides. Your flesh decides. When you bump up against things, you challenge your behavior, challenge your idols. Your flesh says, just put it in that basket that that should have never been in the Bible to begin with. And it's insanity. You can't take the Bible. So only probably this guy, the smart people know. We can tell that that should have never been in there. Really? Has God really said? Genesis 3, the first words out of the devil's mouth. Did God really mean that you're going to die? Second words out of the devil's mouth question the authority the goodness and the validity of the word of God because once you lose that you have no compelling message and churches all over the country have lost a they can't say to people that God can change lies because they don't want to offend anybody they don't want to come against any personal sin behavior because we are worshiping at the idol of everybody can do whatever they want because it feels good and that's how I identify and it's how I define but if the Bible says that that's inaccurate and that's unhealthy and that's wrong then when you can get rid of the verses you don't like then you can just live how you want to live who needs to be accountable to anything and so Jesus comes along and says, I'm casting demons out, showing you that I brought the kingdom. And then he says this, there's a strong man. He's stronger than me. One of my favorite verses, put up Psalm 18, 17. You can look this up later. It says uh, in Psalm 18, verse 17, it says, he rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. You start there with spiritual warfare. You start with, there's a strong man. His name's Satan. He's way stronger than any human being. He's smarter, he's stronger, and he has minions. He has a a number that we couldn't imagine of, of, of demons under his command authority. He's been doing what he's been doing for thousands of years. He's brought the smartest people down. He's brought pastors down. He's brought leaders down. He's divided a billion marriages. He's devoured our children. He's caused babies to be killed. He's been at work in the world creating chaos, havoc, wars, rumors of wars. He's behind, behind. You want to get mad at something with COVID? Yeah, you can try to blame someone. What's behind that is the darkness and the infestation of Satan within minds to pervert them, to try to come up with some biological weapon to fight with. You're dealing with things far greater than human beings, and it's far stronger than the might of humans to resist and to overcome. In fact, if you try to overcome darkness with a good heart without Jesus, you will step into the very trap that darkness would want you to fall into. Do you know how many people go off the deep end in a well-meaning cause to stand against evil, but they do it without Jesus? They have no compelling message. They have no resource bigger than themselves. They have a cause, and it may be a righteous cause, but a righteous cause without a powerful, mighty warrior God is a cause that walks in the darkness, ill-prepared. You're gonna be beaten at his own game. When you join against him in his own ways, you only become like him. If you become like the devil to try to beat the devil, then he's already won because you became like him. He's far too strong for me. I don't wanna overstate this morning the power of the enemy, but on a human level, without Jesus, He'd kill me on the spot right now. Kill me. Kill me. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It's not because of my wit 
my might or my goodness that protects me. My wife and I, we stand in the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus. We're protected by the armor of God that we're going to teach on. In a few weeks, we'll start it in our groups. And I have, to, I have to fight my enemy the way we fight our battles, which starts with who Jesus is. So he has a kingdom. He has a house that he wants to protect. And in that house are goods. Who are those goods? Some of your relatives, some of your loved ones, maybe even your soul at this moment. He has, let's go back to Luke. Jesus said that when a strong man who guards his house is fully armed, his possessions, which he thinks are his, that he's stolen, they're the lost sheep. They're the ones Jesus came. They're the Rahabs that are in captivity in the name of his possession. I love this next, but get this now. I just said all that. Jesus said all that to just say this. Look at verse 20. Let me read the rest of 21. When a strong man who's fully armed, those are his lies, his weapons, his tools, his schemes, his strategies. When he's fully armed and guards his house, his possessions are safe. You ain't going to beat him. You ain't going to get in there and help somebody because you can't get inside somebody's heart and set them free. You can't get inside somebody's mind and set them free. That's why the peace movement was so full of baloney because you can't have peace when there's someone that hates peace. Then you could become like the people that say when we kill all the people that are against peace, then we'll be at peace. No, it doesn't work that way either. I hate people that hate people. That's not, now you become like the enemy. I hate those people because they're hateful people. You see it every day. I hate those politicians. You'd become like one of them. And that's how the enemy wins. And then Jesus says this. His possessions, he feels safe. He's, he's like many of your homes. I, I know people in this church. I would never, I wouldn't go to their home unless I called them. I wouldn't ring their door unless they knew I was coming. Let alone try to break in at night. Not going in that house. You're not coming out. You just aren't. They're going to protect their wife, their children, their family. And that's, that's, that, I'm, all, I'm all for it. The enemy comes at that territory, you stand your ground. That's a different type of battle. That's a different type of weapon. And you defend yourself. Now, there have been people, I know, that are gun toters that have come to this church in the past. And I told them, if I ever get attacked, don't you ever try to help me. Because they shake. I had one guy shook like this. And that was his good hand. And he, he said, don't, don't worry, Pastor, I, I, I'm a, I got my gun permit. I said, I said, if I ever get attacked, don't you ever try to protect me. You'll shoot me nine times and maybe hit Nick him once. That's true. There's other people. Bring it. So just, we'll just move on from there. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that this is a different kind of battle here. Jesus says this. I love this setup. He sets this whole thing up. There's a strong man. He has armor. He has a palace that's protected. His goods are safe. He's, he's, he's hidden. He's deceived. Then verse 22. But when someone's stronger, come on, can you feel that? Jesus talked about himself here. He said, yeah, that strong man's strong. He's armed. He's, he's got a grip on his possessions until somebody stronger steps in. Now watch this. This is little Jesus. This is baby Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas. This is little Jesus that tells people, be nice. Let's everybody get along and love everybody. This is nice Jesus in people's minds. And you don't, you don't get fierce Jesus. This is fierce Jesus. Watch, watch it. Watch it. First of all, he's stronger. There's no comparison. It's not like, well, it's going this way with Jesus. It's going this way with the devil. They're going to fight it out. No, there's no comparison. My little finger, Jesus said, boom, gone. He came to earth to pick a fight. He came to earth not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Not the sword of the natural, but the sword of the authority of God and the word of God. Now listen, follow him. Jesus says in verse 22, someone's strong, but when someone stronger attacks and conquers or overpowers, Jesus walked on the scene and he said, I'm coming for you. 
I, I, I just, I, I want, that's what he did in the temple when he killed the demon. He cast the demon. The demon screamed, Jesus, Jesus, are you tormenting us for a time? I'm coming for you. I've come to drive you out. I'm coming for you that have pillaged lives and robbed marriages, destroyed children, killed people's hearts with sin, evil, lust and anger and division and strife and murder and violence and lies and deception. I'm coming for you. I'm going to tear your head off. If you don't have that kind of Jesus, you better find him. Because the battle we're in, you don't win by being nice. Now again, he didn't do that to the people. He told the people that were broken, lost, that the church tends to scream at the people. And Jesus said, hey, I've come to tell you God loves you. He wants to set you free. You don't have to live like that. You're better than that. God has a better plan for your life than that immorality that you're laying around in. God has a better plan for your life than that bondage that you're living in. He, he's not mad at you. Those were weapons. His mercy came and assaulted the darkness. This verse is the irony of the kingdom that Christ was nailed on a cross, stripped, shamed in weakness, apparently beaten, mocked. But what happened on the cross was happening to the kingdom of darkness in a far greater way, outwardly stripped. But he says on the cross, I stripped you of your armor took your weapons from you. Where I was shamed, I'll make you into a mockery. Jesus came not to make peace with the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, the lies of the devil, the murdering viciousness of the devil, the religious deception that hides the devil, hides behind with pastors saying, we just need to love everybody in the world. And, and the Bible's a narrow book and we don't need to be narrow and we don't want to be bigoted. See, the enemy wants to call us names that we're phobic of this and we're phobic of that and we're phobic. No, we're not. We're phobic of God. We fear God. Because we fear God, we believe that what God says matters. It's not about my opinion, my feelings. It's not about what you think you love or who you think you love. It's about what God designed life to be. And when Jesus comes along, he says, we're going to meet the dark one he met him in the desert after 40 days, did hand-to-hand -hand combat with him, viciously took him down. As a man, Christ came in the authority of the kingdom, and he didn't triumph because he was God. He triumphed because he was a man surrendered. He was God, let me just say it theologically, but he fought in the power of that God gave him, not in the privileges he had with the father before he came to earth. He comes and attacks, overthrows, and strips the armor. Or therefore the gospel would have no effect. Therefore the kingdom of God would have been stuck, stymied at, 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 the, at the ruin and death of Christ. But when he rose from the dead and the gates of hell could not prevail, Jesus stepped on the scene, now in his people, now in his church, now his church, weak, flawed, broken, but filled with the name of Jesus, filled with the spirit of Jesus. It was the only explanation is why the church has survived through all these years of schisms and divisions and persecution and oppression. The reason the church in oppressed communist China that oppresses believers every day, it's thriving in China. Why? Because Jesus said, I've come to attack, to overthrow, to strip the armor from. And then the last phrase he says is to spoil his goods. What are his goods? You were, or maybe are, I was, and he came looking for me, and he said, that's mine. Get out of him. And he brought me to my face, and I came to Jesus. I couldn't have won that battle. Jesus didn't scream from heaven, Jamie, get your life together and come to me. I'm a mess. My foe's too strong. All I could say was, help! And Jesus stepped on the scene and said, get out. Get out. Get out. And guess what? 
Darkness got out and he got in. He goes on in the story to warn about neutrality because there is none. He goes on and tells in the story, and you can read it a couple verses later, the house that gets the demon out, the evil out, someone overcomes a bad addiction, a bad habit. It happens all the time. People get, get a type of freedom, but it's an empty freedom. It's a vacant house. See, Jesus didn't drive the demon out just to get the demon out. He drove the demon out so he could come in. He drove the demon out so he could come and move in with his kingdom and his spirit. He, it's not neutral. And the guy that remained neutral got free somehow for a season. The enemy comes back and he brings seven more demons with him. The warning is be careful finding some sense of religious whatever and you feel like somehow you've, you, you, you've arrived because you, you got rid of some bad habits or changed some bad behavior. That's great. But it's not just about what you got out. It's about what you get in. And if you don't get something in that's better than what you got out, then you're going to be back in in a worse state than ever before. I had someone look me in the eye that I love more than anybody on this planet as a, as a male figure in my life. And I've been through a bunch, and I apologized to my father-in-law for some things I took his daughter through, my wife, and how I'd hurt her. And uh, he looked at me with my mother-in-law, kindest people, and they just, they forgave me. One of my worst days and best days of my life. They, just, they forgave me. He's the only human being I've ever knelt before. He didn't make me do that. I wanted to. But he just looked at me and said, Jamie, just remember, you sweep out the house and leave it empty. That enemy will come back seven times worse. That's all he said. Fear God. Fear God. Fear God. It's a healthy thing. I know. I go through in my mind what it would cost me to compromise and to, to fall back into things that the enemy had me trapped into. But he, if it was bad then, it'd be seven times worse. I've seen it in people's lives. I've seen them get a little taste of Jesus and then finally find a wife. They're happy. They pull the wife out of the church and they walk away from Jesus. And but it doesn't go good for them. It doesn't. What we're messing with is diabolical, insidious wickedness that wants to steal, kill, and destroy our relationship with God first. And then down the line, everything else is just secondary to the enemy. Jesus said, "Someone stronger has stepped in the room." There's a new sheriff in town, boys. And Jesus said, I didn't come to take a side. I came to take over. I came to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm not coming to negotiate, compromise, or in any way placate evil. I'm coming to drive it out. I'm coming not to negotiate with sin. I'm not coming to mediate sin. I'm not coming to minimize sin. I'm coming to nail it on the cross. I'm coming to show the authority of the kingdom of God. Now listen. You've listened pretty fast. I'm almost done. I, got I feel like I cheated you if I didn't show you these two verses. So real quick, if you're following your Bible or watch on the screen, because Jesus built this whole story out of this prophecy in the book of Isaiah in chapter 49. And I love these verses, and I, you'll, you'll understand why in a minute. Isaiah 49, verse 24. First, there's this kind of the prophet makes a, not sarcastic, but a doubtful, it's kind of like if you we were honest and said, God, I know all that's true, but it just seems like the devil's really winning. I feel like that sometimes. But I gotta, that's why I gotta stand in what this says, not what it looks like, not what it feels like. You gotta make a choice in faith. What's the greater reality? What it feels like, seems like, and might even look like, and what the enemy's lying to you, or what God said? I'm going to go with what God said. I'm going to, someone the other day, we had a disagreement and they misquoted my wife. And I looked at them and I said, let me help you here. I've been married to her for longer than you've been alive. And I know her and she wouldn't have said that. 
And I know what she said to me because I'm going to go, I'm going to go by what she said, not by what you said. Let me just help you. And we came up, cleared it up, and it was confusion, and the enemy loves to work in confusion. But God found peace, and it was wonderful. My point is, is that what God says has to take authority over what it looks like or feels like. Now listen, here's what the mind thinks about evil in verse 24 of chapter 49 of Isaiah. Can plunder be taken from warriors? The word giant could be translated for warrior. Think about that when you read the story of Rahab. Can plunder be taken from giants or captives rescued from fierce warriors? That's what humans say. They'll never change. That's what the devil lies to you. Your kids will never change. That person you're praying for will never change. Your situation will never change. You can't get better. You can't get free. You can't break those addictions. You can't. It's hopeless. It's despair. We prayed over some of the first service with stage four cancer. And the enemy had told him, you, you, you have no life to live. That's a lie. And number two, that the cancer would never go away. Another lie. It may not go away fully here, but it's going away when Jesus comes and there is no more sorrow, no more death, no more dying, no more weeping. It will be gone. So it may not happen in a momentary, temporal setting here, but it's coming. Because he came, it's going. Now listen to this. You may think, how can, we could never win. Look what God says in verse 25. But this is what the Lord says. Yes, captives will be taken from warriors. This is the same Jesus was saying about binding the strong man and spoiling his goods. Yes, the captives will be taken from warriors and plunders retreat from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children I will save. I wrote Kelly. That's you can I wrote Kelly, Christy, and Casey in my Bible many years ago right there because none of them were walking with Jesus at that moment. They had walked away. They'd been drawn into deception, drawn into darkness. Even our oldest had been so convinced because of her lifestyle that she'd never be able to sing again, that she'd ruined her throat with drugs. And she led us in worship last week. Let me just tell you, Jesus walked on the scene and said, she's mine. Get out. I didn't come to compromise. I come to capture the captured. I come to set the prisoners free. I come to restore what's been stolen. She thought her years of singing had been stolen from her. I came to restore what the enemy has stolen. I came to give back what he's taken from you. I came to overcome, to rescue, to redeem, to restore, to reconcile. That's what Jesus does in the kingdom. And again, you got to look through those eyes of faith or you'll get robbed by what you see, hear, and feel. And he said, I'm going to save your children. Mama prayed on her face every day, wept before God, did spiritual warfare, fought with the devil, banged on the gates of hell that did not prevail. Our daughters will tell you to this day, they're alive because of their mother's prayers. Let me help you here. You don't pray like that if you believe the lies that the enemy is stronger than Jesus, that darkness is stronger than light, that sin is stronger than the power of God to change and forgive. You can't stand in the victory of Jesus if you don't don't believe in the power of that victory. And that's why he wants to blind us to it. That's why he wants to settle for, let's just hold on, hold on till heaven. Hold on. Nothing's going to happen here. Hold on. For what happens here is just a taste, a foretaste pointing to its coming in fullness. Every bondage broken says they're all going to be broken. Every bone healed. Every wound healed says they're all going to be healed. Every marriage that's restored says we're all going to be restored in Jesus. Every life that's set free from the prison of darkness says God's coming to set all the prisoners free. So Jesus says, I'm stronger. I'm greater. I've defeated the one that you fear. Stop fearing the enemy. Now don't disrespect. Don't, don't underestimate don't, don't fantasize and, and think about him being so great and scary. And he, he's, he's all those things fearful if you don't have Jesus. But with Jesus, 
He said, don't fear him who can kill the body, and after that, there's nothing they can do. You say, well, that's a lot, kill the body. Well, it's temporal. It's going to die anyway. And if he kills you, you go to be with Jesus if you're a believer. And there's nothing else he can do. And once you get over that fear, it's like my buddy says, he says, if you know you're going to be hung, you don't fear getting shot. And so if you, if you know, I don't know, there's some logic in that, some wisdom, but there's a lot of truth to that if you think about it. And if you know you're going to live forever, you stop getting poked in the chest and bullied by the threats of darkness that nothing will change. You can't get free. You will live in this the rest of your life. There's no overcoming. There's no, and see, those are the traps. Those are the, 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 the weapons that Jesus stripped off of him. But if you allow him to come back, you give power to him by believing his lies. So just step up and say, Jesus, you are stronger I close with First John 4, 4, great verse. I memorize it a little different than the verse will say, but it says, we'll overcome because greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. This stronger one, when you give your life to Jesus, he, the greater one, is in you and is greater than anything you're going to face in the world. Let's pray. Just take a moment and, uh, you know, you don't, you don't fight the strong man by trying to be strong. You fight him by the one that's already beaten him and standing with him. You say, what does that mean, Jamie? That means saying yes to Jesus as your Lord. Not voting on him, not saying he was a good man or a good prophet, not saying, well, you know, he's one of the ways. Jesus Christ is Lord and you've surrendered to him as your Lord. If you're listening online, it's a prayer that God will hear wherever you are. Say, Jesus, I want to be able to say that greater is he, you, in me, than all the enemies I'll face in the world, all the darkness, all the evil. But you've got to invite him into your life. It's an act of trust and surrender. It's not being good, perfect. It's saying, Jesus, come be my Lord. Just ask him. Many of you have done that, and I know you're grateful this morning that you've got a great Savior, a warrior, that'll never allow you to be destroyed. You get knocked down, but you'll never be knocked out because he lifts you up, and we have a promise of victory in his name. But some of you as believers are believing lies that have lodged in your mind and your heart that things can't change or won't change or you can't you're stuck. You're stuck in a, you're being robbed by threats of the enemy. And God wants to free you today. Come, Lord Jesus, help us in this time of ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's